Welcome to the Curvebeam AI Cast, bringing you the future of orthopedics and bone health. Hi, Curvebeam AI Cast listeners. It's Lou Schoen again, here with Francois Linst, one of the key innovators in Combeam CT. And uh, we're going to talk about some of the advances, cutting edge advances, I should say, in the technology that uh, I think are you know, mind-altering and game-changing. Uh, Francois, why don't you tell us what you're up to, what you've been up to? Where, where, where's, where's the cutting edge in, in, in your life right now with uh, Conebeam? So um, picking up from, um, from Catus, which was the uh, 3D biometric system, uh, we started thinking like where could we apply the same principles and found that basically we could apply them in the whole foot and ankle and probably uh, all the body. Uh, and then we also realized we needed to standardize this. So I'd say there's, there's, there's three cutting edges. The first uh, would be to explore the rest of the foot and ankle uh, system. Um, the other one would be to apply these principles to the rest of the lower limb. Uh, and um, the other would uh, be the work that we're doing with the Standards Committee, um, which we now call the Standards uh, Endeavor, uh, and uh, work on a, um, a universal reference system. Uh, so you can just think of it as... as uh, what do we compare the foot bone positions to, you know, and, and sort of uh, have an international uh, consensus on that so that we don't all start working in different directions. Uh, yeah, so I would say those are the three areas that we are um, investigating now. So let's talk about uh, some conventional thoughts that the practitioner would have. He's looking at uh, uh, cone beam images and he's saying, okay, this ankle joint looks a little wide, it looks a little narrow. Uh, we're talking about the cartilage space. We're talking about maybe fluid between cartilage spaces. We're talking about the, uh, the bone, maybe the bone density above that cartilage space. Uh, we're talking about um, looking at these, uh, these dimensions that are very much not just about the bone itself. It's about the bone cartilage and even soft tissues at the same time. So how, do, how is this, how, how does Joe, orthopedic surgeon, now look at a joint that has some widening, some narrowing, is this ligament? Is this arthritis? Is this is this a, a is this normal range? Is not normal range? So I would say there's already a tool that's out there uh, that's called distance mapping or joint space width or 3D joint space width. It's been coined differently in the literature, uh, but the idea is that instead of just looking at the AP of your ankle where you have this joint narrowing and depending on the, you know, is it less or more than 50% it's grade two or three and then it's, it's completed, it's grade four if you've got change. So that usual 
way of uh, segmenting things that we have into different categories, then the first part uh, of these high-end tools that we have is a visualization tool called distance mapping, where you have a 3D color-coded map where if it's like bright red, it means there's no cartilage and there's a contact point. And if it's bright blue, then you know, you've got some space there. Um, and there's a normal range that's based on, you know, just the literature, you know, what's being published, what's out there. And uh, after, if you have more than a certain width, then you've got some distraction in that joint. So you've got probably instability and you have ligament uh, failure. Uh, I don't think we're quite there yet in terms of uh, uh, making the link with the soft tissues. Uh, for that, we still use uh, finite element analysis, which is based on assumptions on the quality of these tissues. Um, but I think that the answers are coded within uh, the, uh, the, the weight brain CT data set. So uh, I like you know, to talk about dimensions, and I really think that the bone density is the fourth dimension and that we've clearly been overseeing this in, in the past research, which is not, uh, I know I'm not being judgmental there, because we first had to work out the third dimension, and that's not even, we've barely scratched the surface. So uh, we, there's still a lot of work to do, uh, uh, and, and we've, we've got to look at each pathology, uh, you know, in a, in a very precise way, and describe the norms. That's also a big field of research, you know, what is normal? Um, so, and, and then that kind of closes the loop with, you know, the, the reference, because you're talking about the reference in terms of reference frame in which the foot is placed, but also what is the frame of normality? Uh, and then that's part of the job, that's part of our job uh, we have to do. So creating the visualization tool with the, uh, the, the, the normal range uh, for Joe, is, uh, is part of our job as researchers. Um, and then there's gonna be another stage is helping him with diagnosis. And uh, we still gotta figure out how to do that. And there's also an issue about, uh, you know, uh, patient uh, data protection, uh, um, you know, getting funding for the research and, and, and everything. But I would say that that's the first step, distance mapping. And then you have to, Looking at things is not enough. You have to quantify it. So in order to quantify, then you still have to segment things. And so, but instead of segmenting the stages of uh, loss of uh, joint height, uh, what we're looking at is segmenting the joints into quadrants uh, to show us where the narrowing is happening. Because that doesn't have the same meaning in terms of pathology. For example, uh, in PCFD, your tatus is tilting forward, so you have the loss of joint height is more the posterior side of, of the uh, of the talus, and, and you have an increase in, in joint space at the anterior side. Uh, and of course, in the coronal plane, uh, you know, virus arthritis is obviously the opposite of uh, valgus arthritis. So we have to describe the norms inside each of those quadrants. So choosing where the quadrants are is also another uh, another question. And I guess my personal quest, but it's, it's, very much, it's very close to a philosophical quest, is, is there out there, like, you know, a universal law of physics that encompasses quantum physics and general relativity? Is there a, a unique theory of measurements in the foot and ankle, in the whole skeleton, 
And that's what I'm after personally. I think it exists, uh, but I think it's gonna, you know, we might discover it, but in a number of years and after we've gone through all these stages of, of segmenting the space and segmenting the pathologies and, and, and the, the joint distances. Yeah, so I think most orthopedic surgeons are uh, looking at joint space. And, um, and that's why I, I, I focused on the joint space question. And they say, well, is that narrowing of the car cartilage or is that laxity of the ligaments? And, and I think we could, we could give that answer in the future probably pretty easily based on the densities of the tissues. Exactly. Soft tissue cartilage, bone, all have different densities. So the, um, so we can, you think, do you think we can get that answer to people? Like, is this lax or is this early arthritis? I think that we can give answers and pretty sooner than we think, uh, than we would imagine, because it's a question of uh, referential, uh, of this uh, frame of reference. Uh, your, uh, your joint is distracting relative to some point that you have to describe, or it's compressing relative to some other point. Uh, so it's all a question of, uh, of perspective, uh, where you're looking from. And, but it's difficult to do this. Uh, you know, it really requires some, 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 uh, some thinking because it's in four dimensions. You said it yourself. We have to take into account the density of the bones. Um, and their positions in space. So there's a lot of maths involved, a lot of physics, a lot of uh, computer science, uh, and even some coding and some tricks and mathematical tricks, and that, that's that, that's the stuff we we're working on. So, uh, but I think that, uh, to, to put it in a nutshell, uh, the bone is like the reflection in a mirror of the uh, tensions in the soft tissue. Because it's like in all physics, maybe not in all the physics, but in what I know of it, uh, the, it's, it's always a zero-sum game. Like there's, uh, your body weight is always the same, you know, the gravity is the same anyway for the foreseeable future. So it's, it's got to remain framed in this way where if you have the bone this way, it means the soft tissue has to be that way. And sometimes, you know, we're working on things like uh, automatic segmentation. And I think I'm really waiting. I think it's coming next year, but the definitive, uh, you know, online usable version of Autometrics, which is the automatic segmentation tool. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to that because it, it's going to make things much easier for us. Like it's this first step is done. We can very quickly then go into the, 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 the hardware science. We don't have to divide the bones between themselves, but sometimes... Looking at these pictures, I'm thinking, okay, so we're leaving all the soft tissue out, but the forces are also going through the soft tissue, so, so, and they also have a density, so why do we, uh, you know, why do we leave them out? So we're going to have to answer all, all, these, uh, all these questions, but I think you're absolutely right to say uh, the answers are there in the data sets. The, um, let's go to a very specific area that, that has been played with by radiologists for years, the bone density issues. Like when you look at an x-ray, um, you, you'll see sclerosis, you see cysts, you see lucency. And there's a lot of reasons behind that, of course, metabolic conditions, weight-bearing conditions, surgery, trauma, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you're, you're tackling this bone density issue. You're, you're, 
you're tackling the pixels or I'm not sure what the right terminology is. Uh, and what is your, your venture like in that domain? So uh, we have been looking at this uh, intuitively for a number of uh, years. Um, and then uh, we put together a methodology and uh, a study and we were uh, blessed to have this uh, uh, study published uh, uh, after peer review in the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Um, and so what we looked is how the bone distribution looks like in the coronal plane um, relative to hind foot alignment. Uh, and so it looks like the alignment is funneling the bone to build up where the alignment is and there's feedback so the, the, the bone is then also creating the alignment. Uh, so I'm thinking as far as, you know, things that may sound stupid, but I think are not. Like when you put a screw in a bone, even if the outer shape doesn't change, it changes the alignment because it changes the way the forces are flowing through, through the bone. So that's kind of our venture. And, uh, and um, uh, I've, we've also been blessed by uh, being invited to, um, to work in uh, Duke, uh, in uh, Caesar's uh, research lab uh, for a year, starting uh, next year. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to that because uh, obviously we'll have a lot of means at our, disp uh, at our disposition to, to work on this project. I think it's, uh, uh, Caesar likes to say, uh, it's my baby, so I'd say, that's my, that's my baby, the, the Hounsford unit, uh, and, and looking at the voxel, which is the, the unit of volume, uh, as, uh, as uh, being a four-dimensional object with three coordinates of space and one coordinate of, uh, of density. Uh, it's important to state, though, that density, we're not really looking at density of calcium and phosphates in those voxels. Um, it's a proxy. Uh, we're actually looking at photon, photon absorption, uh, and, and so those are some uh, you know, of the uh, things we had to answer to uh, in publishing our paper. So, um, so yeah, that, that's kind of the venture. How does uh, bone influence alignment, and how does alignment influence bone? And, and, and at some point, how do our um, procedures, and how does our hardware and implants influence this whole uh, sort of complex system. Yeah, it's really uh, fascinating. It's, it's um, typically, I think most of the time we've been looking at the voxels or the Helmsfield units as um, a uh, statement as to health um, of the patient or health of the local bone. But it's, it, it's actually, that's just a very small part of it. It does tell us a lot about the health, of course, but the amount of information that we can get from that is, is maybe exponentially more. Uh, and looking at the information that we get with realignment, osteotomies, realignment along another plane of, that, of, of the bone or of a bone next to that bone or we putting in implants such as screws or artificial joints and what does that do to those bones and how does that then affect uh, the, the, the function of the musculoskeletal system is, is really way more vast than anything that we could have gotten from just understanding that this is osteopenia or osteoporosis. I think it's not 
at all un unreasonable to say that we will be able to answer questions like, I this is, did this procedure in this patient and he's doing perfectly fine. I did exactly the same procedure in a very, very similar patient and he's doing awfully. So why is that? Well, there's probably things within the bone that are written there that are coded in, in, in those data sets that can give, give answers relative to that. There's probably thresholds in terms of bone density where you can put a screw there in that position but if you're like past this threshold in terms of uh, bone density topography or something, you have to change slightly the direction of your screw in order not to cause some pain. So at some point we'll be able to relate the pain with the bone density and with the alignment. Very interesting. And I'm um, also assuming that you're not going to be just looking at cancellous bone, that you're looking at cortical bone as well um, in, in your endeavor, correct? Well, it's uh, when you look actually inside the uh, inside the data sets, there's the cortical bone that we know of, uh, like the outer shell of the tibia, for example, which looks like a cylinder. But if you go more distal on those bones, there are uh, tracts of cortical bone inside the cancel bone that we have no idea existed and that are, are infinitely variable uh, depending on uh, patients. And so we're looking at how, you know, how come those tracks are there? What do they represent? Um, and uh, and uh, I think that's, that's really fascinating. And it's kind of artistic and beautiful as well. When you, when you look at them, you, know, you sort of feel humble uh, in front of what nature is able to, uh, to create and also humble in terms of what uh, humans are able to create in terms of uh, machines, just like Combium CT, to to enable us to see this, uh, I think it's uh, it's uh, kind of uh, otherworldly, or it's it's very humbling. So I, I really enjoy, you know, this part of the research. Well, this would be a great opportunity for everybody in the uh, in the field, specifically for you and Cesar to get together with the other brilliant uh, members of of the society and also the faculty at Duke to innovate in this domain. I think it's. Uh, another uh, tipping point, so to speak. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, your visit and uh, we expect so much from this uh, endeavor. So thank you, well, for, thank you. for venturing out there and uh, it's, uh, it's very exciting. Well, I, def I will definitely visit you in Baltimore if, uh, if I may uh, during that year. Yeah, no, we, we, we welcome you and we won't make you clean up or anything. Okay, just, thank you. you. Just hang I, out. I would, it's no problem. <laughs> Well, thank you again for this uh, most enlightening uh, podcast experience. Uh, we look forward to more in the future from you and from us as a whole. Uh, thank you, listeners, and uh, have a great day.